Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Financial Griot, a.k.a. TFG. We're here. We love to just share our stories and introspection of our wealth journey and what's really going on in our lives. And hopefully you could take those stories and create into actionable steps. I am one of three co-hosts of TFG. My name is Atlanta Elson. And once again, Lovely is not here, but <laughs> I do have my other co-host, Mr. Lawrence Gonzalez. I'm not going to say your brand because I'm always tongue twisted when I say it. So how are you, Lo- Lawrence? Oh, I love Lawrence. me. I'm not going to say lovely. <laughs> you love me. I'm, oh, say you love lovely. Me. Hey, I'm telling you, we're Destiny's Child and she's Beyonce. But she ain't coming back. She's not coming back. Just let y'all know. And Atlanta is actually Michelle. So <laughs> since she's the one that nobody knows I, about. I, I would be Michelle. I have no problem. I have all no right. problem being Michelle Kelly at Warner. all. This is what it is. Uh, it's, but it's my wonderful. last name, Delva Gonzalez. So I actually changed my name, unlike some other people we know. Shade. Uh, oh, there it is. There it is. We're going to get into that. We're going to get to it. So she's going to uh, end up understanding her vibe and how we do things. So I'm happy that everybody actually joined us here because we love to talk about um, personal finance, financial stories, or even things that go on through our life, because I think that's probably more important to really redefine what wellness is. So in this day and age, we have high inflation. We got uh, what? COVID is still around. I don't think he really ever canceled. That's still it, It's over. That's what Biden said. <laughs> That's what Biden said. He also said student loans was over and he's wrong. So we back at student <laughs> loans. That got that that got like right back on the table. So prepare to pay in January. And at the same time, we're, I guess, overdue for a recession. So we never know that when that's going to hit. So we need to talk about it. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, everything is correcting itself. Uh, but before we dive deep <laughs> what we typically do on the podcast we actually have a great guest for you all today um miss deborah napoleon um deborah is one of my close friends from college and you know she just have a incredible story and in how she kind of shifted became um an educator uh first generation uh college student and you know a mom and entrepreneur she's just doing great things i think she brings so much of valuable information and insight of of, um, in the educational realm and how it's like to kind of balance it all, being a mom, a wife, and trying to establish her own educational consulting business. So without further ado, introducing Miss Deborah. How are you, Dee? Good. I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So a uh, little bit about uh, Deborah. So um, she is from Miami. That's one thing that uh, Deborah and uh, Lawrence have in common. Three o five to you die, right? And just so viewers know, like die. listeners, We're out the, sets. <laughs> the, the door sets. down the sets, right? <laughs> we got to, we got to. Uh, is there something about that that three o five? You guys like from a different country, to be honest with you. But uh, Deborah is also an alumni from Florida State University, uh, similar to um, LG, as well as you know, Deborah lives in the DMV area. And it's so crazy how you guys never um, cross yeah, paths. Every, everybody that lives in the DMV knows everybody lives in the DMV, obviously. Right, right. I wouldn't think. We're kind of weird. Hey, 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 hey. Like everybody in Florida knows everybody in Florida. Like, you know, like like every Haitian know everyone is Haitian. I mean, it is what it is. I I, know somebody that knows somebody. That knows somebody, you know. Um, Triple D, we love you. Uh, No. So, uh, Deborah uh, is an alumni from Florida State University, but she's also um, 
a former teacher and currently working in the educational technology industry as a professional learning facilitator. So what she do is she train educators how to close the literacy gap by utilizing high impact strategies and online tools based on personalized student needs. In her spare time, she likes to um, write children books and pro- promoting other author- authors that represent diverse characters. Now, Deborah, can you just talk to us about what made you decide to create? Well, you know what? Let's like bring it back a little bit. Just bring it back yeah, a little no, bit. No, normal people watch Netflix, but she actually writes books. So it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Let's bring it back a bit because uh, you shared a story um, with me before that I think it kind of uh, prompted you to um, create a children's book because you've seen a need um, in terms of uh, what children were lacking in the literacy department. So what were you noticing? Right, right. But first of all, I do want to thank you for that amazing introduction. I'm going to have to take you everywhere with me. That was fabulous. Um, But (laughs) going back to uh, what encouraged me or inspired me to do this, um, if you will, is that, I mean, during the pandemic, there was a lot going on. We were in our homes with our families. And honestly, this was a this was an added value opportunity for me to be at home with my or he was two two years old at the time. Um, that was the first time I had ever been able to actually be home with my child. And it really opened up um, an opportunity for me to really work with him and develop some foundational skills that I do want him to have. Being an educator and seeing the gaps that students have, even from kindergarten and pre-K, I was like, no, I can't have my child be a statistic. Um, I know that... Um, Sometimes with uh, families that um, live in low-income places, like the the educational equity oftentimes is not there. And I don't think that that should be a factor as to why students have, have, why children have um, literacy gaps. Because at the end of the day, um, the money doesn't make you. And every person, every adult, every parent can play a part in supporting their children. So as I was working with my son and I was teaching him letters of the alphabet, I really was looking for books that represented him as a beautiful black boy. I wanted him to see himself in books. And I noticed that the type of books that I was looking for was not out there. So that's really what made me start on the journey of writing because I wanted him to have a book where where he saw himself even at the foundational level and to be honest um, at the start of the pandemic it was just crazy people were losing people left and right and I personally um, had a loss actually it was my 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 husband's mother we had our own relationship and we were really close and that that's one of the things that opened my eyes and, and really made me say like you know what, if, if there's something that I want to do, I can't be afraid. I need to be go, like, go ahead and be fearless and just do it. And if I make those mistakes, that's where I'll learn. And obviously, my first book wasn't the best, but the kids loved it. I've been able to uh, get a lot of uh, people to buy it, and they really loved it. And honestly, I learned from that. And my second book was better. So I just plan on continuing to grow from there. And my goal is to support. Um, people that look like me and close the educational gap, especially when it comes to literacy, because I know that that is a gap that I've observed myself. And I really just, I I really don't understand why, even if there are some financial, um, financial things that 
families may or may not know, I think that literacy piece is, is something that we can use to get ahead of the game uh, and support our families. Yes, absolutely. Um, you, you touch on a, a great point um, about the um, literacy educational gap, because there is a disparity when it comes to educational access, right? And you speak about, you know, you were an opportunity as an educator, you had the uh, you know, privilege to work from home and to teach remotely. And this kind of uh, gave you the, you know, create an environment for you and your young one and teach him those uh, basic uh, literacy um, foundations in order to, um, to read and, you know, alphabets and whatnot. I, I do understand the disparity because everybody, everyone don't have that privilege to stay home. I know for me, when I was younger, my mom was working out in agriculture. She get up, you know, four, three o'clock in the morning. We had to drop us off at the um, babysitter. Right. Um, and then come and pick us up. So uh, to my knowledge, a lot of things w- wasn't someone sit down with me and taught me. I learned on TV. Or I learned probably as after school programs or anything like that. So there's a, a gap, not in terms of literacy, but just access. And then when we, when we think about black and brown people in our community um, who are in like hos, hos, hospitality industry, service industries, you know, it's ongoing. Um, we just had a pandemic. So a lot of them were um, essential workers. I think that's what they labeled them as. And they had to go to work. And for the most part, too, um, they wasn't there for their children. They couldn't be, unfortunately, because they had to continue to work in order to provide um, shelter and food for their families during a pandemic. So that's like one of the gaps that we don't really recognize Um in, in terms of disparity of educational access. And another part too, people didn't even have basic computer access for their children, right? Um, I know here in Palm Beach County, they were giving out vouchers for students in order to get, um, you know, uh, laptops. You know, um, some people didn't have the, the space <laughs> to have laptops or desks and everything for their students in order to kind of create an environment that's safe and doable um, in order to teach their students. And I'm happy that not only you identify something um, for children books that you seen that your son Dustin wasn't able to kind of see himself in, but you create a solution. I know most time we always complain about, oh, they don't have this and don't have that. I'm just so, so proud of you that you create a solution for that. Um, what was one of the main things that you think that your son took out from him once he started seeing himself in your, your children's books? I mean, honestly, that pride factor, like he sees himself in, in the books. And when I read them, he happily says, hey, that's me. I don't think he realizes the impact that it is right now. I'm not sure if he knows well, I know he doesn't know that not every kid has a book inspired after them, but I think eventually he'll be able to see that. And just that pride um, that 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 I'm able to instill in him early on, I think will carry him along and really support him as he goes through obstacles and challenges. Um, I, I really just want him to know that he has he has a village around him and so does all our other beautiful black and brown kids. Um, I think that you kind of touched on some of the things that I went through as a child as it relates to 
not having access to internet and things like that. I remember actually having to go to city hall and be there um, from the time I was after school, probably like three or four o'clock till eight o'clock doing projects because the expectation is, oh, it needs to be typed. And, you know, teachers are not really taking into account that every child doesn't have internet at home. Every child doesn't have a printer. So, um, you know, being able to be a part of the solution, um, I think, is is really what's going to motivate our students to take the extra step, our children to take the extra step. Because honestly, not every not every child would think, "Oh, I don't have a computer. Let me go to city hall. Let me go to the library." But when um, you have family, especially my mom, though she um, very essential worker, certified nursing assistant, so. As far as that educational level, that formal education, she didn't have it, but there's still a pride that she instilled in me as far as knowing that education is important. And even though as far as English, we didn't have those literacy skills, I learned to read and, and, and write and communicate in Creole by going to school. I'm not, not going to school. I did spend some time in Haiti and went to school, but really by going to church and reading the Shundis Girls, that's what they call the songbook, and listening to French and Creole and things like that. So I really, my goal was to help people see that no matter what educational level you have, no matter what skills you have, you can play a part in, in, in supporting your children and helping them be uh, contributing members of society as it relates to that education, that educational factor. That's amazing. I think um, from the very beginning in the onset, when I looked at your bio, I went online, went to the Amazon page, and it's actually there. It's, it's up and operational, people. You'll check it out, and you'll see all her books in the it's an amazing display as well. There's a power of illustration, I think, that's severely underrated in our society. And I think it really contributes to how uh, young Black uh, and Brown kids see themselves or not see themselves in these books. And when you had that kind of powerful illustration out there, it just really spoke to me. And I, I'll actually, to a certain level, because I'm also from Miami-Dade, I remember uh, the differences in how uh, little boys and little girls were treated. I always felt that was odd. And, and to be honest, we never really got into books. It, to this day, I kind of like I gloss over information very quickly, but I've never really got too deep into it. But I do see a lot of young, uh, well, a lot of women per, per se pursue reading as a, like a hobby versus young men. Have you seen that difference as an educator going into this space and now as an author? How do you, you know, I guess put those two um, pieces together? Well, I, I definitely see the difference in the in the motivation that. I, uh, I think our, our Black children have in general because uh, from the jump, there's a, a oftentimes there, there's a gap where students are struggling, but a piece of that is because the information is not engaging to them. It's not culturally relevant. So um, with that, um, it's really hard to get somebody excited about something where they don't see themselves. Um, as far as boys and girls, I do feel like a lot of um, girls that I've observed, like you say, lean more towards uh, towards the books because even if, um, if they weren't necessarily represented as far as race, there were things they could relate to as far as fantasy and ponies and things like that. So that's also that's also a gap in itself when you think about the boys and girls and how um, the 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 interests um, are, are not necessarily being sparked because books are not really tailored to to our kids in that way. 
Yeah, even um, when I think about it, um, th that's that's a that's a great point because when I think about it in terms of voice, right? Uh, a lot of authors kind of lead into the fantasies and aside, you know, some, some things that could be more tailored to little girls or women, whereas like the voice of, um, let's say, a, a guy uh, can be typically more on the, I guess, more on the white male gaze um, mm -hmm. or white mm -hmm. boy gaze or versus someone that in the urban um, background or may have a different socioeconomic background as someone else. Um, and that could be it too. And I, and I also think, you know, in terms of, um, the, the push and motivation, it just seems though it, it, it kind of leads more to the girls when you have more re representation of women teachers and women leaders in the educational space versus, um, a male leader, especially a male black leader in the, um, education space. I mean, that's definitely true. And um, as far as the books that I've been writing, um, it's not really something that I did on purpose. I didn't even think about what Lawrence brought up as it relates to boys and girls. I just knew that I had a Black boy at home and I wanted him to feel represented. So um, especially in my second book, um, I made sure to um, add his dad as a character because I know that that's something that's often missing where people just assume because you're Black, oh, your father wasn't in the household. And, and that's not always the case, though that's not something experienced. I am so privileged uh, to, to be able to, to have a very active husband. Um, he takes um, the kids aback. He reads to the kids. Uh, he cooks for them. Like, you know, as far as that, there is no... There's no role that either of us does not fill for our children. And I wanted to make sure that even if children are living without, that they see that there's a representation of them out there where their families are entire units. So even if they don't have, it, have that at home, they can aspire to that. And they know that, okay, this is something that I can create. This is possible for me. And when I grow up, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I marry my wife or my husband and we have kids and we stay in the household. Just because you're, you're not living something doesn't mean that it's not accessible to you. And I think it's very important that even from jump, we expose our children to all there is to life. And a piece of that is through books. If you can access it with money, eventually they'll be able to figure that out. If you're setting those foundational skills for them, you're helping them build those critical thinking skills, they'll, they'll be able to, to navigate that and 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 be around people positive people to mentor them and things like that but i think it all starts at home and we need to build those foundational skills from the job yeah there's something that that's very interesting because one when i did see that that illustration i did see the dad as well i did saw, see the the pictures it just looks so much fun throughout the entire thing and it really hits home the idea that you know, as a young black boy, you could see yourself, but you can also see full units interacting and the lessons that you could take away from it. Because sometimes I, I grew up without my, my dad around and that's just one of those things. Likewise. But it's one of if you find the same information in a different medium, you're still getting the lessons, right? You're still getting those one-on-one -on -one fatherly talks without actually having a dad around. If you're getting the message, it's actually going to help. So I, I appreciate the fact that you're taking, a, you know, an adamant approach to really craft books and illustrations that goes along with these books that really could speak to kids and really change some minds. Um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about here, 
because you have a unique experience of being one, not just the parent, but also a former teacher. From the teacher's perspective, how important and crucial is it to get the parents on board with this literacy thing? Because I think that's probably might be the biggest, um, I guess, gap that we have in regards to pushing knowledge, pushing um, the enthusiasm. It's not just the teachers as yourself that are you know, energized to do it, the work, but it's also the parents. So now that you're on both sides of the camp, you're, you're the parent and the teacher, how important it is to really wrap some, some parents into this game. Oh my goodness, it's absolutely essential. Um, um, one of the things that I did when I started working from home as a teacher, when everything shut down is, I started working with my son and as I started working with him, I was doing very simple things that literally anyone can do, um, even if you don't have an uh, educational background, but being intentional about if you are looking at a letter just saying the sound, most people can do that. So those are, those are the, uh, that's the perspective that I take when um, I'm speaking to parents and families. And um, to be honest, it, it sounds crazy, but I'm, even as an educator, I, I am shy. So what I did was I just started recording different things that I was doing with my son. And that just made it easier as, as opposed to me telling them, just showing them. And I was recording that. I actually um, started a YouTube channel where I was just showing different strategies for how you can support your child and showing um, families that, hey, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to support your child and build those foundational skills. If anything, that's the easiest thing you can do because, you know, it's primary sounds and, and letters and things like that. Once students, once children are able to, to put those sounds together, you have unlocked a world for them that where they literally can move beyond you. Like my goal for my son is so that when he gets to middle school, even if I can't understand what he has going on, he has the tools. I set the foundation for him to figure it out on his own. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest gift that I think families can give to their children instead of, um, you know, just assuming they're too young, making sure that that you are still involved. And to be honest, it's a lot easier to do it these days, because even if you don't feel confident, you can find something on YouTube, put it on there and the the kids, they'll be listening and they'll be learning as long as you are creating an enriched environment for that child, they have no choice but to flourish. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of resources out on YouTube and um, different people on IG where their platform is making, you know, learning fun. And um, they, they'll twist, you know, like a modern song and turn it into like, Absolutely. you know, enunciation and stuff. And you see the parents acting like they're rapping and the kids are getting to it as well. So that is a great point, too. There's so many resources out here that you can use and kind of can adapt to the times and whatever that your um, children like. Because I do notice when my nieces and nephew were younger and we were in a car, they can they can sing along to so many songs, just like we were when we were kids. Right. Uh, but when it comes to like the actual learning and uh, enunciating um, words or letters, it gets difficult for them. So if you kind of can take those two components of music or something that they enjoy anime, my my niece is so into anime right now, um, something that they can enjoy and kind of um, collaborate that together, then it can be something that can spark their interest as well. So um, that's, that's a really good point. Um, how long were you teaching uh Deborah 
Well, this year would have made it 10 years, so I'm one year shy of the decade, um, but I've been teaching for a while, straight out of college. Um, after I graduated from Florida State, I um, transitioned to a residency program in Maryland, uh, Baltimore, where I got a chance to be a transitional educator because my undergrad was in, in psychology. I thought I was going to be a criminal psychologist, um, but as a first-generation college graduate, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know that after the, your bachelor's degree, there was more things you had to do, that your master's and PhD right, and doctorate, right. <laughs> and I was just like, look, like I need to figure out how to make this money now because we broke and we need to figure it out, and I want to make <laughs> sure that um, I can, I can um, support my family, so I transitioned into education, the, 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 the residency was like a four-year program, but I would get my master's degree in two years, actually a year and a half or something. So that's what made me transition into education. I know it's something that I always liked and wanted to do. I remember when I was in college, there was an AmeriCorps program called Jumpstart, where I got to work with um, kids at that it was a daycare at FAMU that I got to work at. And that was so much fun for me. But, you know, I kept trying to shy away from teaching. And then when this opportunity came, I was just like, all right, God, I guess you're telling me I need to be a teacher. All right, cool. So I did it. And I'm not going to lie. It was so challenging. But I think that it has made me so much better. And the fact that I can connect with um, a lot of students that a lot of times that you know, people just kind of like, uh, that child is a is a difficult is, is a difficult child. A piece of that was the connection that you were talking about as it relates to what interests them. So you really have to 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 make it fun. And even me as as a mom right now, my son, he's four years old right now. There are times where I have to check myself and take a step back and say, okay, he's not getting this. What am I doing? What do I need to do to make this engaging for them? For him. At the end of the day, you have to know your children, and that's that's a piece of what what can help you push them along as far as their uh, academic journey and academic career. Yeah, there's something in there that you said, and it probably it is a triggering word in a sense. Um, at least that's what they call it now. <laughs> Everybody, everything is a triggering everything. But uh, part of it, it comes down to the language, right? The idea that sometimes. Um, teachers or even parents um, have this almost like a bad, uh, what do we call that? Just bad habit of calling their kids difficult child, right? Troubled children or, you know, a stubborn learner, yada, yada, like all these terms that we toss on them, how important it is to actually move away beyond those languages to your point to really get to know your kid and actually educate them in a way that will actually matter. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that children, um, you know, they want to please. And a lot of times they internalize that stuff. So I'm actually very careful with my language. And I, I'm not sure if I did this when I said uh, difficult, but I, I tend to do the little quotations because I do, I do believe that every child wants to please. And it's a matter of forming those connections uh, before you just assume. So um, I think I think that that's a that's a very important thing for educators to to know. But I think right now the challenge is people are scrambling for educators that they're literally for real just throwing any person in front of children. And I think that's 
that's going to be the, that's going to be something that we'll have to figure out because you're at this point, people are so desperate to um, have teachers in the classroom that you're throwing anyone um, in there that really has no business um, teaching our youth. And I think that that's, that's a challenge that, that we have to figure out. And honestly, I'm, I'm really concerned about, uh, even as a parent, as an educator, I've observed things that I really um, don't like to see, which is why I do my best to make sure that I'm connecting with children and I, I'm really careful about my language because I know that I internalize a lot of things and I don't want to force that trauma on other children as, as well and kind of stifle them because I think a piece of my anxiety comes from some of the things that I heard of as a child um, and even, even subtle behaviors, the way you, the way you, act with children, even if you don't say it, um, kids are very, very intelligent. They can get a sense of, of, of what you're thinking. So. Yeah. I think it reminds me of the, the times where people say, Hey, you, you know, you're being too smart. That was like one of those air quotes. They're like, what do you, what right. do you mean being too smart or you talk too much, you think too much. And they're just basically boxing people into a, um, into what they perceive them to be. And, and kids are malleable that way that they're, they're going to fit into that box. The more and more you force them to that box, the more and more they just kind of like this, if it's to your point, in order to please the person, they just fit into that narrative anyway and naturally become the, if you if you keep telling them they're the trouble kid or they're the difficult kid, they're just going to end up being the trouble kid and the difficult kid because it's easier to, in your mind, conceptualize, I guess, ra irrationally to be what the other person tells you that you are and therefore that's what you become. And it reminds me a lot of uh, all the experience that I had in Miami-Dade. I think I was one of the worst school systems and I don't know if it, it improved, but when I was growing up in the eighties, in the nineties in there, it was terrifying. Like hold, yeah, you, you said hold, 80s. like well, in the in late eighties, you know, like, <laughs> I grew up whatever it is, but I'm just sitting in like elementary school, like day one or even like first day of middle school where you get a whole assembly where the, the principal or the VP tells you, hey, look left, look right, some of y'all are not going to make it. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I remember that. How do you start this conversation with kids? It's like, some of y'all are not going to make it. Some of y'all are not going to be, you know, make the, you know, make the cut. Traumatizing. And it's, it's like, this kid's a middle school kid. Like, what is this prison? <laughs> like, what's going and on? And Lawrence, to your point, I specifically remember in high school, ninth grade, principal literally, just like you said, look left to look to your right. Half of y'all not going to make it. What is that? Yeah, what, that how do you get terrible. to that point? Like, how do you get to that point where everybody, all the other adults too in there, they're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> They're nodding to each other. It makes a lot. It just shows us how much work we have to do as a community to one, really support educa um, educators and education system because we don't want right. to just toss anybody in there. At the same time, we have to do our part as even people that are non-parents and especially as the parents to kind of like, you got to take the, the reins of teaching your kids. And it's something I actually, you know, you know share with you guys in the chat. It, it's, it sparked to me the idea that maybe there needs to be even curriculums for stay-at-home parents. Some parents are women, some parents are men, either, either way. Maybe there's like a small little course you, people could do where they could learn how to help develop right. the kid, right? So we're not losing that, you know, all the, the essential knowledge throughout the summertime, especially when some kids can't afford to go to summer school, they don't have access to summer school. That's a lot of time that you have of just pure nothingness. I grew right. up doing nothing. And in those time of breaks, 
uh, yeah. the, 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 the <laughs> nothingness. Like I, I stayed at home. I watched TV. Some people got into more and more trouble and more and more, I guess, adult things because right. there's just nothing else to fill in that time. So how I, I, I guess I'm leading to you as a, as a former educator and also a parent to let, let us know how does, how can a parent today really help their kids uh, move forward, right? Beyond just um, what's the norm is just, hey, get them dressed, buy some supplies and send them to school. How can we actually do something? Well, um, I'll do my best to answer that question, but by no means am I going to sit here and pretend like I'm the perfect parent because I am far from that. Trying to still figure it out. I'm telling you, beat them. We we said it, beat them for you. (laughs) Trying to figure it out myself. But what I will say is um, get your children as involved as possible with um, daily tasks. I remember the other day, um, and because I'm a transitioning educator, I work from home. And even though that sounds like, uh, what is it? lilies and rainbows. Honestly, it's a challenge to work from home with a one-year-old and a four-year-old. So I actually had a lot of guilt because I was on the computer online, you know, facilitating sessions for a really long time. And I didn't really work with, with my son. Like I worked with him for the 30, 40, 40 minutes that we do. But after that, I was just kind of like done. So what I did was um, I was cooking dinner and I said, hey, Dustin, you're going to cook dinner with me. And though it took a lot of patience because a lot of times you're just trying to quickly do something and get something in people's in, in your family's bellies and send them to bed. I was just like, you know what? Anything that he can do in the kitchen, I'm going to allow him to do it. So I put water in the pitcher and I gave him the pitcher and I'm like, OK, put this in the pot. So. Those small things, I think, are valuable. And even in those moments, he's learning life skills because when he goes to college, he's going to know how to make some pasta for himself, if anything. But then also, I'm also teaching him math. I'm saying, hey, grab three pieces of this for me. Grab three bags of onions for me. So those little things, I think, go a long way. And then also... You're, you're forging a relationship with your children as well. I think teaching the whole child beyond just academics is very, very important. And that quality time is really what you're going to be able to use to move your kids to the next level. So getting your children as involved as possible in whatever it is that you're doing, I think will, will be what, what helps us make that shift for our families. And I mean, it's it's great to to say too that every every opportunity is is a learning opportunity for children, especially Absolutely. at that age between what one and five or something like that. They're like sponges, and mm-hmm. it's a great window for them to kind of like hone in and, and engage in different things. So that that is a great way because not only you're engaging your your um your children into daily tasks, into life tasks, you know, life skills that they will eventually need to learn, right? But also you creating an environment where it's it's cool to kind of figure things out. What do you need like how to solve this right and create it into um something that they can eventually understand it and learn um and and i think that's for me that's the greatest experience being um a teacher or or a um a parent if you're trying to kind of modernize you know educational for them and make it fun as well um what transition you into out of the educational space because now you're in technology correct Yes. So um, in education, um, I think this is part of why there's kind of like a big flight of people leaving uh, teaching 
it requires a lot, a lot of work if you're a good one. Um, and I'm not saying I was the best, but I'm telling you, I, I, I worked hard and I forged relationships with my kids and families. And what I felt like, uh, especially as a, as a new mom, I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. I felt like a lot of the times when I left work, I was depleted and exhausted. And I felt very guilty for just wanting to go to sleep as opposed to really working um, with my kids and just playing with them, taking them to the park, going to the library, those simple tasks that I do want to do with them. And again, um, I, I suffered a loss. My cousin, um, unfortunately, um, just left this earth and just it was unexpected. And that opened my eyes like, you know what? Life is too short. I need to find a job where I can be with my kids at home and still be the working person that I'm used to, to being. But I really just want to be there for them, especially in these early ages. I know eventually they'll go to school and they'll be fine. And I might consider going back into education, but I think I had been itching to leave for a while and I just didn't have the courage to actually leave because up to then that, um, that, was my, that was my first career. Um, that was my first real job that, you know, got me my first car and all these things like that. So you get a sense of, of okay, this is the only thing I can do. What, what, what else can I do besides teach? I'm not sure how my skills will transfer into other, um, what's the word? I wasn't sure how my skills was going to transfer into um, corporate America, if you will. But um, after after all that stuff that had happened, again, I was just like, you know what? Life is too short. It's now or never. I need to do my best to see if I can pivot and do something where I'm, I'm able to be more present for my family. And I think um, my kids were, were the biggest um, push for me to actually seek this out. And um, fortunately, um, I, I demonstrated enough, uh, enough of what they needed to be able to be picked um, to, to get into this educational tech industry where I'm still able to use my skills in, as an educator, but in a different way. I've always wanted to see what it was like to teach adults. I think eventually I want to go into, you know, possibly being a professor like the sky's the limit. These are things that I've always wanted to do, but I love that um, I'm actually able to to pivot and and work through that. And honestly, I'm learning a lot. I think it's making me even like it's making me better. I'm growing. It's not easy, but um, I definitely feel like I'm developing even more skills that I think will be transferable to anything that I decide to do. Yeah, there's a lot that's there to unpack. And uh, I think at one point you mentioned it just over the top. And I, I you mentioned the idea and I kind of spiraled from there. The idea was about this. Uh, what I'm seeing lately is basically a lot of teachers. We're missing teachers. We're missing uh, military members. We're missing people in the sciences. We're missing a lot of like crucial elements of mm -hmm. society are falling to the wayside. And I'm going to term it because I think it's beyond great resignation. It's really a generational resignation to work. There's an avarice to work, right? There's like people just don't really want to do it at all. And right. are, how are we grooming people to even work anymore? Like kids, all the all kids see now is somebody very, very popular on social media. So people are actually even quitting high school. Like at the end, it's like, hey, I could just go on TikTok. Right. And how do you as a parent kind of manage this new modern time and that um, the idea of modern tech and maybe even uh, the possibility of too much screen time? 
um, for kids? How is that, you know, factoring into how you do things or even an, into a next book or something like that? Right. I mean, honestly, I think that that screen time, even for me as an adult, like it, it is too much. It's a part of my job, though. It's something uh, that, that I have to do. But I do think that that screen time, there definitely needs to be uh, a balance. And um, I'm not going to lie, when I first, um, when my husband and I, we had our first son, we said, we were like, oh, they're not going to watch TV. It's going to be no technology, no tablet, no nothing. It's going to be us being the best parents we can be and everything is going to be educational, blah, blah, blah. Of course, that quickly shifted because that just wasn't, it wasn't possible. I'm sure, you know, there are other amazing families that were able to achieve that, but um, I we were able to kind of you know, compromise and really use uh, the technology as a tool to education. But at the same time, when I see my my child being too dependent on like, oh, I want the tablet. Oh, I want to do this. Sometimes we have to take a step back and bring in those puzzles. Like, no, like you need to go ahead and do something for one hour that you like. And he loves dinosaurs. He'll go ahead and draw dinosaurs. I had no idea that he can draw, but because he's actually able to do that old school paper pencil stuff, um, I'm able to see that and he's able to develop his handwriting skills. And um, one of the things that I really um, use to balance that also is, is, is puzzles. I love giving him puzzles because it's able to sustain his attention for a very very long time and he's doing something productive so uh, a lot of times I do have to take a step back and, and see what other things um, or or fun routines I can incorporate into into his daily activities so that there there is a balance and you know as far as the book idea in my mind I think them reading a book with their families in itself really helps with that technology piece. You're spending quality time with your child. Uh, they're listening to your voice. It's something soothing about listening to your, your, your parent read and learning words with them. Even if it's the same book you read every day, uh, it's something powerful about that. You're showing your children that it's important. Even if it's in your native language, I remember my grandmother, she used to pull out some verses and just, and just, uh, read to me in French. I understand what she was saying, no, but I, I, I really, um, I really, um, what's the word? It's, it's just near it. Yeah, I connected with it, it yeah. and it's, it's dear to my heart. It's a memory that I'll have forever. I can hear her voice right now reading some like I remember that because she did it every day and it really, really stuck with me. So yeah, you're adding so much to that because I think is uh, what you what we're talking about at this point is not just this stuff that we see on screen, right? Or even the modulated voices that we hear throughout our, our microphones or our speakers. It's really that one on one. The fact that the world existed in five senses, right? So mm -hmm. we have to be, you know, one. There's touch. You know, you can't touch something that's on. You know, yeah, you could touch the screen, but you can't touch people. You can't really touch our experience, ground the world, whatever it is, just by watching the screen all day, every day. There's right. this idea of sight. You know, the fact that yeah, you could um, even to the point we had a friend that was on here, and he works for uh, a company, and they're they're noticing that kids are losing distance, um, their sight through distance because they're always in front right. of the screen. 
it's the wildest thing, but it makes a lot of sense. You're growing mm-hmm. up an entire um, uh, generation of kids that never had to look down the street anymore. Like we used to, when we like, when you're looking for your friend all the way down the street, you're looking <laughs> up down the street. Right. <laughs> like, right. No, you're actually like, they're always like too, too close to the screen. So they're losing that, that functionality in their eyesight. So that's also part of the reason why we need to get them away from the screen. And then you have the voice, as you said, the voice part, you got to talk to them because they're going to hear these words. They're going to use these words and they're going to learn that level of diction or even application. But to your point, this, this level of work that you have to do, is not just for the kid. It's also for you as a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what that is. Like when people say, I, I, my kid's not going to watch TV, but then they turn off the, t- they turn on the TV themselves. They're real. Like, <laughs> that's where the problem is. Like the entire family got to be on board and the fa- entire family got to summarily change. Right. That's, right. that's important. So there's right. another question I have here about like, I guess the idea of a work instead of work-life balance, I was probably going to pitch it as a work purpose balance. Like a lot of people are always trying to find ways to just uh, fill their time with just, you know, fun and spending on, on, on joy stuff, but there's not a lot of purpose. And I, I appreciate that you find a lot of great new purpose or renewed purpose in being an author where you can share a, a, a deeper understanding of education through a medium that works for you. Right. So, right. What do you think about that? I mean, I think um, from from the lens that, that that I'm seeing things, I think my number one thing is always being an advocate. Right now, I'm an advocate for my children. So when it comes to everything that I do, trying to build generational wealth um, and trying to get that um, financial literacy piece together that I didn't necessarily have, I know that, you know, my husband and I, we have a long way to go, but I think children is really what drives us to uh, have purposeful aspirations and saying like, okay, we met this milestone together. What else can we do to create some experiences for our families where they are better off than we were? So um, going back to that relationship and knowing your, your children, I know that my son takes a liking to dinosaurs. Funny enough, he didn't like them when he was two. And something switch and he loves them so when it's time to play I have to sit here and do the raw and you know do all that stuff with him and honestly I'm learning from him there are multi-syllabic words that I have never heard before but because he loves dinosaurs his vocabulary is so advanced when it comes to that and he's teaching me all the time he's telling me the most updated um, dinosaurs that he learned about and um, we're just intentional about creating experiences around what our children like Um, um, so luckily with my job I actually had to travel and I traveled to Norfolk, Virginia. It just so happened to be like an amazing children's science museum. That was, I think it was free or close to free. So those are the experiences that I'm talking about. You don't have to, you don't have to have money or lots of money to go to the museum, but um, knowing your children and building upon what they already like really will help, um, with, with that education. And also it really changes um, your, your ideas when you're thinking about purpose, like what drives you? A biggest thing is my family, is my kids. And anything I do, my goal is always to see how we can move and pivot to the next level and be there for our kids and be a model for them and show them, show them the way or show them there are, there are ways to, to, to just be better. 
I'm not sure if I answered that question, but uh, I know it went all over it, the it place. Was a, it was a deep question. This is just a random <laughs> deep question. question. <laughs> yes, right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I just had uh, like uh, a question real quick about like teachers. I remember you guys always loving to decorate the classrooms all over the place. Do you decorate your homes the same way? Uh, do you decorate the kids room? Like with the whole pamphlets, like uh, the alphabets, the, the math, the whatever. Well, I that would mean, be kind of cool, though. I ain't gonna lie. So I, I had to, again, I think it's all about balance. Um, as an educator, I, I, I am intentional about teaching myself, but I want to make sure he has fun, too. So in his room, his room is nothing but dinosaur themed, whatever. Like he has dinosaur rugs, toys, things like that. My office, um, we actually just moved to our home in April. My office is where I have the educational stuff because I want his room to be a place where he's relaxed and he, he, he wants to be there and he has fun. And not saying that he doesn't like learning, but sometimes when he is is reaching a milestone because we go through these um you know ups and downs where things are challenging for him and then he learns it and then it's easy but i don't want that to be a trigger like oh my gosh i don't want to be in here because i'm seeing all these words yeah, i, I want to trigger these kids i, I want to put like, some math <laughs> in the wall trigger you <laughs> exactly like, i don't i don't want to do that trigger trigonometry triggered <laughs> like all of that just exactly you algebra two triggered <laughs> figure it out <laughs> like Right. You can probably see in my background, I actually have like sight words because my office I see is that. like. I, I can see it's a little blurred out, but I have a feeling that's a teacher's background right there. It's definitely a teacher's background. And I don't, I, I want to make sure my child has, has balance. I want him to have fun, but I want him to be motivated to learn when it's time as well. <laughs> awesome. Um, you did mention that you were um, a year uh a year short um, from a decade of teaching in um, the educational field. Um, did you take advantage of the public uh, student loan forgiveness, the PSL program, where it's 10 years of service or 120 payments for a student loan cancellation? I, I'm like Never I said, looking I, real shocked. She's looking real shocked. <laughs> she never heard of it. So I'm like, she, she's squinting no, hard. No, no. <laughs> no, I've heard of it. So there were there are some things I took advantage of, like the teach grant. Like they gave you like five thousand dollars as a teacher, and I actually just applied to. Um, it what was it? Some it wasn't this PSL. The PSLF loan forgiveness, I wasn't able to take advantage of it because at the time I just was in um, so much debt, not like frivolous debt, but you know, trying to survive because they really are not paying teachers. And at the time, um, I spent most of my life as a single person. So that tax is just crazy. And in Maryland, especially in, in Baltimore, I was just trying to survive. So those payments just weren't possible uh, for me. So that wasn't something I took advantage of. But uh, I definitely think that if you can, you should, because um, I have some debt that I wish would go away, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. Um, I was able to take advantage of some other grant, actually. It was specific to Baltimore when I was there. I can't remember the name of it, but um, they paid $20,000 of my student debt. So I was able to take advantage of some things, just not that public service, uh, public, public student loan forgiveness, um, opportunity. I'm going to drop another one on you. Like the state of Maryland also has a student loan tax credit. So they ah. give you a credit that you can use to actually pay down more of your debt. So if you have debt, student loan debt, and it's every year they actually, uh, they open it back up. 
So it's now be open next year for, for 2023. It's already closed for 2022. We could definitely look out to that and actually use it because it's available every year. But they want to make sure that you took that credit and you actually applied it to your student loan. So there's an opportunity to get a little bit of money. I think it's like a, a thousand two hundred dollars or something like that. But it's free money that the state is basically Absolutely. saying that if you're doing this already, you rocking it. We're just going to give you the money so you could add a little bit more to your debt pay down. So, but and, and they will harass Thank you, you for they, that. They will harass you if you didn't pay because they're looking at me like, hey, man, did you pay? Did you pay? Let, let me see that proof. Let me see that receipt. I'm like, I haven't done it yet, man. Relax. Well, I hear you. I hear you. I balled out on your money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is a lot of resources if you don't know that that can really cost you because you're not reaching out to people or you just don't know. And it could be such a benefit to like debt. Uh, reduction for your life or, you know, just using that other money that you would have, you know, used for your debt to something else that may be useful for you. Yeah, that, that opportunity to network and talk to people like Lawrence and you, um, I think that's really what is what has helped me as far as my journey in, in financial literacy. So um, I, I love the opportunity that's, that, like I said, that's a area of growth for me, forcing myself to talk to people because I think that's really where it begins um, with, with making sure that you are constantly growing every single day. I'm, I'm probably gonna make you feel a little sad though, but I'm, I know for a fact that the Biden administration this year basically reopened the docket to say that if you had any of that, you served any of that time as a teacher or, you know, under the premise of the PSLF, it mm-hmm. could be retroactive. Basically, as long as you made some payments to, or you made those specific payments depending on whenever you made those payments they can count i don't know if it's still it might it might be one of those things that's ongoing so it's definitely uh good to uh, look into it. the waiver to yeah get the, to, I there's think the it's waiver. Over. It's yeah but i think they, they might just kind of like keep it ongoing because there's a lot of teachers that you know served our community in the you know great capacity for years and never really heard or understood the program because HR wasn't doing that job. Be honest with you, HR was just kind of like, eh, you know, hey, Deborah's Deborah's a teacher. I paid her. Moving on. (laughs) Right. And also some, a lot of people um, weren't able to take advantage of this because they were doing silly stuff like making sure, can you all hear me okay? Okay. Making sure that the payments was just under what they were supposed to pay. And then it's, it's once that 10 year time span comes up, it's like, oh, well, no, we can't forgive your loans because you weren't paying enough. So um, I've oh, heard that's that as are, well. People are making some weird, silly stuff. How are you not going to pay what you're supposed to pay? Just like, just under it. You're like, hmm, I'm going to save $10. <laughs> well, but I don't think the people like um, they were doing it on purpose. I just think that whatever glitch and I use that loosely was in the system was purposely making it just under so that whatever that payment amount was um, when it came up to that 10 year time span it's like uh sorry you didn't pay enough so too bad so sad I think I I do I do know the opposite actually happened to me on a couple occasions where if you made a little bit let's say your payment is 250 but you decided you know or let's say your payment yeah it's 250 but you decided to take 300 right let's say that's mm-hmm. what you paid turns out at the time the pslf system would basically count that as a non-payment even oh. if you pay th- more they just because it's not the exact amount that that one-on-one level wow. it, they eventually fixed that like so I, a lot of people you know this is not something that's ongoing but that was one of the problems that existed in the system itself so they're always trying to streamline it and make it better but because it was an automated thing because if you didn't pay the 250 it just registered that you did not pay. Right. 
even if it was three, 300, even if it was uh, 500, whatever it is, it's like, oh, they paid a 250. Doesn't count. <laughs> Doesn't count. Oh, but man. the waiver itself would, or even the opportunity now, what the Department of Education is doing, they're going back through the archives, ensuring that whatever payments that were made still count and whatever service that you have is still in, the, in play. Even though the waiver is probably done for the moment, I still mm-hmm. think there's opportunities because the government, as crazy as it is, they're not against you. They just want you to do the work and they and it's going to be a little problematic. You got to call them. You got to stay on the line with them and whatever. It right. Is. But you got to work through it. And eventually they work with you because there's just not a lot of people. Just like there's not a lot of teachers. There's also not a lot of government employees working on this stuff. Right. So there's always a, a backlog of just people trying to get the help and people that need the help. And I definitely want to make sure that your service for the last you know nine years still counts. And mm-hmm. even if you have a do an additional one year, but you know you're doing, or maybe you have to redo six years, but it's it's better than ten, right? Yeah. So you're still in that capacity. So I think that's important. So I just want to drop that on, on any teacher that's listening as well. Went went went. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> what are teachers? <laughs> teachers are definitely uh, value. Um, any last things you want to um, say to uh, parents or um, teachers or former or even teachers that may be um, thinking about transitioning out of education? What last things you'd like to share with the I mean, as far as as far as transitioning educators, I would say that the opportunities are out there. You just have to be patient enough to constantly look at Indeed or those job applications and make sure that um, all of the skills that you do have, they are transferable. It's really a matter of how you market yourself, uh, because as an educator, you are utilizing a whole lot of skills that other people do not have. You have patience, you're a project manager, you're managing a class, you're a social worker, like you're doing all this stuff and you can definitely find um, ways to to market yourself so that other industries can see you as an asset. Um, and, you know, being patient about uh, making sure that, that, in your resume, you're intentional about these vocabulary words um, that you're putting so that you can stand out as the high quality uh, person and asset that you are. Uh, as far as uh, families and parents, I think the biggest thing you can do for your children is, is be there. Getting to know them, building those relationships and using what your children love to to support them, I think, uh, will be key in making sure that at the very least at the home front, you are providing a solid foundation for your children so that when they go out into the world, when they go out into schools, they can articulate and advocate for themselves. So that's that's my two cents about it. Yeah, there's also, uh, I guess I'll add this, uh, I think it's very important, for, especially with teachers. A lot of people that I've seen, they're, they're making the shift and they're making the pivot and they're recording themselves now, especially through the tech medium mm-hmm. and providing those outside as well, creating like, you know, hey, side hustles, you know, passive income, so on and Absolutely. so forth. So that's actually amazing. So if you're a teacher out here listening to this conversation, definitely hit up with a share, a like, a follow to Deborah because I think she's dropping the, the knowledge and also like walking the path that some, some people want to be on as well. Like you don't necessarily have to stay and, you know, live and die in the classroom. <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't have right. to do anymore. There's opportunities that exist. I've seen people even take their teaching overseas. So instead mm-hmm. of being an English teacher in the U.S., they decide to, hey, you know what? I'm going to travel a little bit and I'm going to open up my, myself to teaching, you know, in Korea or I'll teach in, in Dubai. I'll teach in wherever, wherever the opportunity um, are. And I guess the final thing I would leave to anybody is that make sure you, you take your HR to task. And understand that there's benefits out there completely tailored for you as a teacher to really ensure that your money is going further because teachers could could become millionaires as well. Absolutely. Um, To add to that, Lawrence, making sure that uh, whatever city or state you're in, you're looking for those possible scholarships or opportunities to pay down your debt. Because, like I said, the opportunity in Baltimore to get somebody to pay $20,000 out of my student loan debt. It was just, it was amazing. But that's because I was a part of a network of educators with my program. Shout out to Urban Teachers. Um, I learned about that and I was able to to get some of that debt taken taken off of my my own um, loan. Yeah, most definitely. Um, <laughs> Lauren's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was like it was like a pause because Atlanta's slowly <laughs> coming to the mic. We're like, <laughs> oh, you think I was like, because my my chair is like far back. Anywho, <laughs> anywho, um, Deborah, can you tell the people where can they find you? You can you can find me at Miss Debbie's Kids Corner on Instagram. It's at Miss Debbie's Kids Corner on Instagram. Also, you have a YouTube channel, correct? Yeah, I do have I do have a YouTube channel. I, I'm not actively recording right now, but you can definitely find some some tools and, and strategies to support your little ones there. I think there are a lot of nuggets that that families can use to begin the educational journey with their with their toddlers to win up. And where can they find all your uh, published books? Uh, my books are actually on Amazon. Um, and also, if you go to Miss Debbie's Kids Corner, I do have it hyperlinked as as well in my my Instagram. So it, it'll be very, very easy to find. If you look it up on Amazon, um, you can type in my name, Deborah Napoleon, or you can type in my books. My latest is called Dusty and Daddy's Diagraph Discoveries. And the first one is called Dusty's Awesome Alphabet Sounds. They're easily Googleable, but you can find them on my Instagram and they're also easy accessible on Amazon. Awesome. And I want to uh, make sure that everyone uh, follow uh, Deborah because I think that she has valuable information and resources and tools that'll be able to help educators as well as parents to uh, teach their um, little ones and to teach their um, students as well. Miss Debbie's Corner. I always like that name. I think I told you that before. I love, I think that's super cute. I always like that name of that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Every time I think the corner, I, I think a bad thing. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh! It had to be three hundred five. What are you I, talking I was, about? I was a bad kid. Like they had to put me in the corner. Like, oh god! Like, back in the days, like go in the corner. I'm like go in the corner. Like Jeez, now you I might have your childhood just traumatic. I might have to do some rebranding, man. Yeah, like no. go in the corner, any corner. Like remember back in the day, that's what go in the corner. Like what you do in the corner? I used to get in trouble because I'm always anymore. I'm always playing with someone in the corner, <laughs> goofing off. They ain't learning a lesson in the corner. Huh? <laughs> I love, I love your story. I love your uh, where you're going and where your journey is taking you because you did uh, grow up in my neck of the woods, Day County, three hundred five. 
You know, hey, 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 throw the sets up, throw the sets. Everybody, three or five. Okay, this, this, this is not a gang podcast. This is not a gang podcast. It's like somebody at work right now throwing the sets. Like, yeah, yeah, going, going nuts. Why? Why do Miami people do this? But I love the fact that you also made a transition because it's hard for a lot of us to grow up first generation, you know, staying in um, locally. That's when we were like pushed for right. So leaving that local area and actually going all the way north, you know, beyond the family and, and traversing something completely new is also admirable. So thank you for doing what you're doing and dropping these gems on these kids because they need it. I think the parents need it as well because they need to see themselves in the books. So I I love that as well, that you're incorporating Black dads and you're incorporating Black boys because I think that's sorely needed in this society. So thank you for what you do. And you can find me at on the interwebs as the the neighborhood finance guy because I like to share information as much as possible because I just want everybody to be rich. That's my, my, my main thing. Everybody can be rich. I can figure it out. But sometimes if y'all don't want to listen to me, oh, go ahead. Be poured in. How about that? How about that? All right. We're not. We're not. Gonna do that. <laughs> it turned dark. We're, we're, like, we're, we're going to close on the hot like, like, No, we're not. No, doing no, this. Let's, we're not doing no this. let's not do that. You can find me on the interwebs and IG at Atlanta underscore Elson. Make sure you uh, share this episode and subscribe. This is great information. And um, once again, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Financial Grio TFG. We're out. Wait, you're not going to talk about your YouTube? Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Financial Grio podcast, powered by the Wealth Builders Collective. 